to introduce Pastor Mark. Uh, many of us know Pastor Mark because he is not only the lead pastor of Radiance Church in SF, which is where we planted out of in 2017, but he is also one of our renewal provisional elders along with Pastor Ryan. So uh, we are really grateful that he's here this morning uh, in Pastor Ulysses' absence to preach. We know we pulled him away from his family for a couple hours. They're already heading down to LA. Uh, but thank you for coming, and let's welcome him up. Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It was so good to worship together. Actually, um, this is my second Christmas service. We had a Christmas Eve service last night, and so a lot of uh, Christmas carols. And, you know, I, I always wonder, I get so blessed by you know, all the Christmas songs that why don't we sing it like throughout the year but i guess it would lose some of its significance and so we'll keep it for uh these sundays um you know it's uh it's a blessing to be here uh, to be able to worship on christmas sunday this doesn't happen uh too often and so uh just grateful for this opportunity uh, also a great chance for me to come and support pastor ulysses uh especially as he uh, and his family go through this time of loss and you know, as we you know consider uh, maybe some of the things that have happened in, in uh, this year, uh, it has been a difficult year for many of us, uh, I think. Um, and uh, just as I reflect on my own year, uh, it's been a very hard year. Uh, we began with the war in the Ukraine, and you know so many other you know different things that just made life. Uh, difficult. We're headed into perhaps a recession this year, and you know as we think about Christmas. I think we want uh, more of the sentiment of Christmas, which is, you know, peace, joy. But when we think about the first Christmas, we realize that Jesus came in a time very much like this, that he entered into the world in a time of pain, turmoil, upheaval. And that's the promise of Christmas, isn't it, right? That not everything will be okay and hunky-dory, but that in the midst of everything that is happening in our lives and in the world today, that there is still hope. Right? There's hope in our despair. There's joy for our mourning. Right? There's love for all the hate that we see. And so as we consider the incarnation of Christ, Emmanuel, God, with us, you know, that's the hope that he brings, a hope that cannot be quenched. Uh, by all the things that are happening around us. And so uh, with that, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the Gospel of John. And uh, we'll uh, look at our study there. John chapter 1, 1 through 5. And then John 1, 14. This is the word of the Lord for us this Christmas Sunday. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Two questions that uh, we want to answer uh, this morning as we uh, think about uh, these uh, passages. First, how can we celebrate Christmas with the world? Right? What does that look like? And two, what is the true purpose of Christ's birth? And, you know, like many uh, people, probably many of us in, in here, 
Christmas is my favorite time of the year. Absolutely. Even before I was a Christian, Christmas was my favorite time of the year. And there's something very enjoyable, isn't there, about decorating the Christmas tree with the kids, drinking hot chocolate, uh, listening to the Pentatonix, Michael Bublé. The only time of the year I, I listen to those uh, two artists. And what's interesting is I enjoyed these things before I became a Christian. And then when I became a Christian, at least for the first two, three years, I was very, very serious about Christmas time. And, and I would feel really guilty about enjoying such secular things. And, you know, I would admit that I have come very close to ruining Christmas for our family. And one year I got so angry, I, I want to believe it's a righteous anger, uh, that there was no mention of Jesus at our family celebration, that I stopped everything and I forced our entire family and extended family to honor Jesus by taking a time of prayer and, and worship. And oddly enough, probably not surprising to you, it really dampened the mood for, for, that, uh, for that Sunday uh, or that Christmas day. And it didn't help that my wife pulled me aside and she said, you know what, thanks for being the Scrooge who ruined Christmas this year. And, you know, not to defend myself, I do think, you know, that I wasn't entirely wrong on that day because Christmas does have to be more than emotional sentiment, and it certainly is more than a secular holiday. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, well, how can we celebrate the true spirit of Christmas with the world without being a killjoy? And, you know, I believe this passage gives us clues to how we can celebrate along with the world but also why our celebration must go so much deeper. And the first chapter of John is the most theological view of the Incarnation among the four Gospels. Uh, Matthew uh, and Luke give all of the infant narratives that are so common to us in our uh, Christian traditions, the pageants, the church services. We see the three wise men in, in those Gospels, Jesus in a manger, the shepherds following the star. They're all found in those two books. Oddly enough, the Gospel of Mark, which is uh, most likely the first of the Gospels written, actually has none of those stories and skips right over to adult Jesus, the beginning of his ministry. But the Apostle John, he actually takes the narrative of Jesus all the way back to the beginning of time itself. Right? It gets really philosophical, really deep. And he decides, I'm going to go back to the beginning of time. And so what we see here is that before Jesus came to live among us, before he took the form of an infant, he was and is the pre-existent word of God. He is, in the Greek, the Lagos. And when John refers to Jesus as the word, he's referring to the all-powerful voice of God by whom all things were made and by who, whose will all things now hold together. And you know, there is an old poem that I read that speaks about the mystery of our existence, even in the most basic things around us. And it's a, a short poem by D.H. Lawrence, and this is what he writes. He says, water is H2O, hydrogen two parts, oxygen one. But there's also a third thing that makes it water, and nobody knows what it is. You know, I'm a science major, I worked in science for a long time, and this is absolutely true, right? You have these three molecules, right? and they come together. And why it becomes water, no one understands. What holds these things together, why it displays those properties, no one understands. 
But thousands of years before the scientific revolution, John, along with the Apostle Paul, came to the conclusion that Jesus is the third thing. Right? Jesus is this mystery element in our world. Our universe exists and is held together because of the Word of God. Everything around us then is the expression of God to us so that we might know Him. And we're told that all creation was made through Christ and that this world that is now teeming with life is simply a reflection of the infinite life that is found within Him. Further told that this life is the life of all mankind. Not just Christians. It is the light for all humanity, for every single person who is alive today. And this answers the question of how we can celebrate Christmas with the secular world. And whether people believe in Christ or not, the life that is found in Him is still their life, just as it is ours. And, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like to make this analogy, it's kind of like Kyrie Irving believing that the world is flat. He can believe whatever he wants. But at the end of the day, the world is still round, amen, right? And you can still, hopefully we don't have any flat earthers here, but I don't wanna ruin your, your day, but anyways, you can believe, right, that the sun doesn't shine and close your eyes as tightly as you want, but that doesn't stop the sun from shining its light to the world. And so it is with Christ. As much as we wanna remove Christmas as much as we want to take out that name, as much as we say Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas, it does not stop the light of Christ from shining in this world. And you know, every year, Christmas is a reminder, isn't it? That no matter how much the world disbelieves or even mocks the existence of God, the light of Christ continues to shine in this darkness. And so for me, instead of being angry at the secularization of Christmas, I take joy that there is nothing in this world that can actually stop the light of God's love from shining brightly, even to those who may not believe. And, you know, instead of worrying that the world is celebrating Christmas incorrectly, I have actually learned more to be thankful that for some reason, in this season, the entire world pauses, right? They may not know or understand completely, but somehow the world pauses. And I would be more worried, actually, if the world stopped celebrating altogether. Because then we would know that these Christian principles of goodwill and peace on earth have been lost, maybe utterly lost. But they're still existing, right? They're still around us. And, you know, some years ago, actually, um, I had a friend who, uh, during the Christmas season, uh, took his coworker uh, to a musical. And this musical surprisingly uh, sparked her interest in Christianity. And I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, it is a semi-blasphemous uh, view of Christ. But what's interesting is despite all of the misconceptions, there was still enough light in that musical to arouse her curiosity. She came to church and then she became a, a Christian. And I think this is where genuine Christians can make all the difference in the world because we need to recognize that even though there is great darkness in our world, the light continues to shine and there is nothing that can overcome that. And I realize many times as Christians here in the Bay Area, it feels like the darkness is overcoming. It is not, amen.
right? Absolutely not. And, and so during this Christmas season, instead of judging the world, I think we more so have the responsibility of sharing the meaning of Christmas to those who are unable to comprehend it. Because how can they understand unless there's someone to explain it? But how can they understand right, that all of this is because of a birth of an infant? And as Christians, we know that the true spirit of Christmas and its importance. Uh, and so it is vital that we, we share that with the world that is so, that is so filled with darkness and, and confusion. And this prologue uh, to the Gospel of John was written, wasn't it? Exactly for that purpose. It was meant to dislodge all the myths surrounding Jesus so that people would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, we might have eternal life in his name. And I want to focus uh, for the rest of the message on the second half of, of these passages, which outlines the purpose of the incarnation, and <clears throat> therefore the real purpose of, of Christmas, so that we might share it. At a high level, the incarnation was meant to reveal the glory of God. In fact, the Greek word that is translated as dwelt, or dwelling in the English, is the same word that refers to the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament. The visible, the manifest presence of God. That is what we see in the baby Jesus. He is the manifest presence of God come to us. And in the incarnation, the great mystery of the world actually is, it, it, we're confronted with one of the great mysteries of the world, and it's this, and it's found in these two sections of the scriptures. Colossians 1.16 tells us this about who Jesus is. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And if this is all we know about Jesus, well, it makes Jesus unapproachable, doesn't it? It makes him transcendent. It seems like a God that we can never get close to or get to know or to be loved by. But what's amazing is that this transcendent God then becomes utterly close, utterly eminent to us. In Matthew 1.23, this is what we read about the closeness of our God. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I want you to think about the justification of these two things. Far away, far removed from us, becoming this, this infant. And if there's you know, anything that is more approachable than a child, I don't know what that is, right? Unless you're afraid of kids, right? But if you love babies, right? Uh, they are so approachable. You want to hold them, don't you? As soon as you see a, a child, you want to grab them, right? Hold, pinch their cheeks, right? Give them a big hug. And there's a, a nearness. There's something that draws us in when we, when, when we see a, a baby child, right? And so it is with Christ. This great mystery, God, who is beyond us, has become completely approachable, so near to us. And in the eyes of the world, 
the incarnation seems to be a very puzzling way uh, of revealing that uh, one of the Gnostics here with me, what he said is, it feels like God is trying to confuse us all. Right? You know, why would God come in this way? If he's really trying to reveal himself, why not just come down from heaven in blazing light and give us irrefutable evidence? Wouldn't that be so much easier? It would be so much easier for us to evangelize, wouldn't it? Right? If just God came down in a ball of fire and said, here I am, right? God of this universe. And on the surface, this would seem to make a lot of sense. But those of us who have come to know God, we understand that this would go against His very nature and would not reveal the fullness of His glory, but actually would begin to just diminish it. Because what we know is that God's glory is not simply a display of, of raw power. That within the glory of God is also His love, his grace. It is full of grace and truth, as we read here uh, in the Gospel of John. The Incarnation, then, is the full expression of God's grace because it reveals the grace that makes our relationship with Him possible and guarantees our resurrection. The uh, Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he had a short parable that he, he tried to understand why God would come in this way. And I believe that parable actually captures the heart of God very much uh, as he sent his son. And the parable goes like this. Suppose there was a king who loved a very humble maiden. And the king was like no other king. Everyone, every other king trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush any opponent. But this mighty king was melted in love by a humble maiden who lived in a poor village in his kingdom. And so how could he then declare his love for her? And you know that's actually the, the, the dilemma of God. And so there are three things that Soren Kierkegaard um, throws out there as an explanation. First, if this king simply took her from the village and crowned her with royalty, she would have to submit to him, for how could she do anything else? But would she actually love him freely? Right? And the answer to that is no. Right? She would not love him freely. Second, he could ride into the village, robed in all of his splendor, and express his love for her. But the gap between the two would always ensure that he would be king, and she would always be a subject. Right? that that gap would always remain. But the third, and this is what Kierkegaard sees as the reason for the Incarnation, he says the king desired to have the maiden freely love him in return. And so he did the only thing that he thought possible. Convinced he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her freedom, the king resolved to descend to her. And so what he did was he clothed himself as a beggar, he approached her cottage with worn out clothes and with no money. And this was not only a disguise, but what the king did was he took a complete new ident identity. He renounced his throne in order to declare his love and to win hers. One commentator, as he thought about the, uh, the prologue to the Gospel of John, this is actually what he writes. I think it's a perfect summary of the parable of Kierkegaard. 
He writes, the word becoming flesh is the decisive event in human history, indeed in the history of creation, because the incarnation changes God's relationship to humanity and humanity's relationship to God. Incarnation means that human beings can see, hear, and know God in ways never before possible. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the birth of our Savior on this day makes our relationship with God something completely different than it has ever been before His birth? And what John and all the apostles, the writers of the Gospels, as well as believers from that point on have realized is it absolutely has changed the way we relate with God. There is a closeness and a nearness that we could have never ever dreamed of before. And it's so important uh, that you revitalize and you renew that relationship with the Lord in uh, days like this. And you know, it is significant that Jesus is the Word made flesh because through Him, we can know God as we have never known Him before. And if you think about it, the reason why someone speaks is so that another person can come to know you or come to know one another. If you never speak to anyone, uh, person to person, you may know of that person, but you can never say that, that you know him or have a relationship with that person. And from eons past, God desired to have this conversation with each and every one of us. And his desire for, our, for an intimate relationship with us finds its fulfillment in Christ. In fact, in Hebrews 1, this is what is written. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. But this is the voice of God spoken to each and every one of us. And you know, as we consider you know, this idea of God coming down to us. Uh, there's a, a glorious ending to this story, actually, because not only did he come down to us and stay here with us, his ultimate desire was to elevate and to lift us up with him. C.S. Lewis describes the incarnation as the grand miracle, and it's the miracle that he believes every other miracle is dependent on. And this is the way Lewis describes the true miracle of Christmas. He says, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He didn't come simply to be with us. He came actually to take us up. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with us. And what he's talking about is the resurrection, right? That the Christmas story is just the beginning of life in all of its fullness into eternal life. And what C.S. Lewis in, in his book goes on to point out is that we see this pattern over and over again in nature. For example, everything needed for the growth of a mighty oak tree is found in a small acorn. Isn't that amazing? Right? Have you ever thought about that? Within this small acorn right, is the secret right, to this mighty oak rising up one day. 
And if you consider even the beginnings of human life, right, it's also patterned in the same way. Two simple cells, the egg and sperm, descend down into the womb, only to ascend into this unimaginably complex living organism. And this pattern exists in nature because it exists first in the heart of God. Everything speaks of the gospel. Things have to descend in order to ascend. And this answers the question of why the Word became flesh and took bodily form with all of its limitations, all of its frailty. And the reason, the one purpose for such an act is so that God would come down, descend to us, so that He could bring all of us up with Him. The Word, the second person of the Trinity, Christ the Messiah, took on flesh so that He could do something that is seemingly impossible for God. God became man so that He could die, and dying, He would be the first seed of a completely new and glorious humanity. And though it's true that Jesus came to die for our sin, that is merely the opening act. By redeeming us from that sin, He guaranteed that this body that we currently occupy, the one that is decaying, the one that will one day pass away, well, that will one day rise again. This is what Paul refers to in his teaching on the resurrection. In the, in the book of Corinthians, he says, But someone will ask, Well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. No, no one knows how we will resurrect, what we will look like. But the guarantee is simply that it will be glorious. Just as a mighty oak overshadows that small acorn, so will we in our resurrection overshadow the life that we live but what we are now pales in comparison to what we will become. And it's during this Christmas season that we can celebrate this gift, isn't it? And not only the gift of God's Son, but we can celebrate all that He has won for us. And the thing is, you know, as we consider why you know, did God come in this way, why do we hide, and why did God hide uh, such a gift? in this way. Well, I think even in the way that we give presents, you know, there are signs of the gospel. And if you think about it, well, why do we hide the true gift that we're giving to another person inside nice but really worthless wrapping? Why do we do that? And I used to hate it when my, I would give, when my kids were really young. Uh, I would give you know, Christmas gifts to them, and then they would throw out the toy and play with the box. Right. I don't know if you've seen your kids do that. It's absolutely infuriating right? when they're like one or two. And you know, I thought about that one year. And I realized that a lot of times we do that as adults, right? Meaning all of this that we see in our world is great, right? But it's temporary 
and its worthless wrapping to what is truly the gift, right? The gift that God has come to give to each and every one of us. And in this Christmas season, my hope is that you will begin to see this gift that God has given to you through His Son, to enjoy it, to place all your hope in it. Because when Jesus came, He came to give you life in all of its fullness, life in unimaginable abundance, and life for all of eternity. Um, this morning as we close out our Christmas service, um, there's another creed that I wanted us to actually go through. Um, and um, I, I pray that it will warm your heart. Um, sometimes creeds don't do that, but as I was reflecting on, on this creed, which is, which is the Athanasian creed, um, I, I came to realize just how much the coming of our, our Christ, our Savior, means to us. And so we can put that up there. And if we could all stand together. As we read the Apostles' Creed uh, this morning, uh, let's close out our service by reading uh, this portion of the Athanasian Creed. So I'll begin for us. It is necessary for eternal salvation that one also faithfully believe that our Lord Jesus Christ became flesh. For this is the true faith that we believe and confess, that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man. He is God begotten before all worlds from the being of the Father, and He is man born in the world from the being of His mother, existing fully as God and fully as man with a rational soul and a human body, equal to the Father in divinity, subordinate to the Father in humanity. Ask the praise team to come up as I explain this portion of the Athanasian Creed. In the early church, um, the church fathers debated about who Jesus was for many, many years. They had no idea how the God of Colossians 1, this transcendent God, could actually enter into the world in the way that he did on this Christmas day. And what they began to realize is that they could not put this mystery together, right? that they could not actually bring this to a place where they could understand it. And for them, it simply became a mystery, right? a mystery that the church must hold to. And that's the reason why they begin this portion of the creed with, it is necessary for eternal salvation that one faithful, faithfully believes that Jesus came in the flesh. And why is it so important to our salvation? And I think there is one word to that, and it's the word identification. That Christ came to identify with us to identify with our pain, to identify with our frailty, to identify with our sorrows, to identify with our loss. But most importantly, He came to identify with our sin, the thing that leads to so much of our pain and sorrow. And He came to identify with all these things 
Not so that he can simply empathize with us, though he does that perfectly. But he came to identify with us so that he could take it to the cross on our behalf. Amen? So that all of our pain, all of our sorrow, all of our sin could be placed there. And in this world, and in this life, and forevermore, we might experience his peace, his joy, and his love. And so I pray that as you go home to celebrate with your families on this day, don't be a killjoy, right? But know that all of that, everything that you enjoy on this day, is possible because Christ was born on this day. I encourage you to center your hearts on our Savior, to thank Him for all that He has done. And maybe you're going through a difficult time and a difficult season at this moment. You know, would you ask the Lord to come in to provide His light, His joy, His peace?